I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, December 1st, 2023, the 1045th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So I want to spend a little time on the Ron DeSantis, Gavin Newsom debate moderated by Sean Hannity last night and talk about that as an illustration of what is wrong with the political conversation in our country, because I think it was absolutely perfect for that. And before we get into that, 
I want to discuss something that I notice consistently as a form of argumentation online that I think will also apply to that discussion. And it's the near constant refrain from people accused of supporting communism that you need to define communism. Now, my response is always define it however you like communist, and I will prove that you are one. And that is quite effective. They will basically never define it. They will pretty much always just go crazy. And you have to wonder why they won't define it. I'm giving the opportunity to them for them to use whatever definition they want of this word that they say is in dispute. They're trying to point out that they and I probably have some sort of difference in how we define communism, but they want me to present my definition first. They don't think it's fair that they're being labeled a communist or that one of their ideas is being labeled communist. And so their defense, rather than arguing that the idea itself isn't communist or why I might say that the idea is communist, they will say define communism. And when I return the opportunity to them and say, define it however you like, I'll prove you are one. They don't want to define it at that point. So why not? Well, they want me to set out my terms so that they can argue about my terms. That is already a diversion from the immediate issue. And what is that diversion intended to do? It's intended to give them an opportunity to say that you are wrong about some aspect of your definition. And so you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to communism. And therefore, they are not communists. Now, that is totally irrational, but it is a fairly effective move in an argument if the person's not prepared for it and they get put on the defensive after being asked to define a word. And of course, these communists know that there are probably 20 different definitions of what communism is. Communists love to redefine their words so that wherever they are is the right place. And they want to stick to certain textbook definitions of certain words, like, for instance, the one where fascism is defined as a right wing ideology. Therefore, fascism is right wing. It makes no sense. It's tautological, but they don't care. That's what a book says or a link says or a source says. And there certainly are books and links and sources that say that it is actually a common understanding among people of a certain education that those definitions are correct. All good. They're not correct. It doesn't matter how many people believe them. And they don't want to talk about the underlying concepts because they don't understand the underlying concepts, which is why they want to focus on the definition. They want you to define your term so that they can tell you they've found a definition that says you're wrong. And now that you're wrong, you're disqualified from talking about the subject. It is a semantic diversion and nothing else. It's also one that allows them to engage in a stereotype that they have totally embodied, which is being on the left is the intellectual position. And they support that with statistics like most college graduates vote for the left to them. College means education. 
If you have a college degree, you are quote unquote educated, which makes you smarter than people who did not go to college. Now, in reality, and I say this as a person who went to college and did really well at a really good college, once you realize that it doesn't take a particularly smart person to get a college degree and a college degree does not guarantee that you are educated in any meaningful sense. Once you understand that it is just a prolonged indoctrination from your childhood teaching, well, then it doesn't look so admirable and impressive that all of the college graduates are voting for the left. Then the left immediately becomes, oh, that's what stupid people vote for. That's what all those indoctrinated people voted for. That is what all those people who put themselves into a life of debt for a piece of paper that says they're smart, but only in the eyes of people like them, that's what they voted for. All of a sudden, voting for the left doesn't sound so smart anymore, and they've lost that point. Now, it's important to understand that this applies to the uniparty right, too. And we're seeing that with people like Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, because all the people supporting them are doing so as a factor of their indoctrination. Most likely, I'm talking about normal people out there, the ones who aren't overtly corrupt or political criminals or trying to gain power and wealth by supporting this abomination. Normal people out there were indoctrinated into a whole bunch of college beliefs. They are the uniparty right. Their controlled opposition is the uniparty left. They can pretend that, oh, they hate those Democrats all the time. But plenty of their friends are Democrats, just like plenty of their friends are Republicans. They're just all people who don't really differ when it comes to anything important. And they all agree that none of them are going to argue and none of them are going to stand up for anything. They're all trying to acquire more wealth and power and status together. And they're going to go along to get along. Why? Because they all participated in the same forms of indoctrination. Where did that come from? College. Is it smart to go to college? Well, only if you want to be trusted by people like that and have opportunities to succeed outside of a meritocratic environment. If those are your goals, then sure, that's smart. Now, for the record, if you want to nail them on the commie claim, it's easy. Ask them, do you believe Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes? The truth is most people watched our election be stolen right out in the open, in broad daylight, over the course of time, they had countless opportunities to seriously investigate the claims, understand what had happened, understand the stakes and understand that they needed to speak up. And they didn't. An impossible result was reported in an environment of pure chaos. And when the state said, no, no, there's no way we would ever cheat in an election that could never happen. Our election systems are perfect. After they had just accused the opponent of doing so a few years earlier, they believed the state. They took the state's side. They knew that over half the population of the country didn't believe what the state was saying and what everybody had watched right out in the open. And they took the state's side. And not only did they just accept the state's explanation, they actually went out and argued 
the state's case to their own friends and family and neighbors and co-workers. And not only did they do that, they argued that people who disagreed with them should be censored and imprisoned. And oh, wait, 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 wait. I almost forgot about the best part. That regime who stole the election that people are now denying stole the election, arguing for on behalf of no, the regime did not steal the election. And yes, the regime should imprison and censor my friends and family and neighbors to protect that election that they definitely didn't steal. That regime is pushing overtly communist policies. So call me a red baiter, but I think we've got a pretty good case there for communism. Now let's get into the Ron of it all, because what we were unfortunate enough to bear witness to last night is what happens when two people like that are engaged in an argument. Now I mentioned yesterday that Fox News had been running a countdown clock for the debate for a couple days. It was on the front page of their website. It was up there on the TV screen, down in the Chiron, you know, where they used to have the uh, COVID death counter. That was the countdown to the much anticipated Ron Gavin debate that has been scheduled and planned and rumored about for months and months now. This was supposed to be a big centerpiece moment for the Ron movement, and it just turns out nobody wants Ron, so it's not a big moment. It is a ridiculous television spectacle that no one asked for and that no one needed. Did it live up to all the hype? No. And it was pretty clear it wouldn't even before the debate started. Ron DeSantis put up a video in the morning yesterday, a little preview of what he was going to talk about in the debate, and he hopes everybody tunes in. Here is just a second of that so that we can kind of set the mood for what will soon take place. But I do think it's where would the Democrats want to go in it after 2024? If it's Biden that does run and gets reelected, if it's a Harris, if it's a Newsom, uh, that California model is really, I think, what would drive their party nationally. And, and that would have devastating effects on people in Iowa, as well as throughout the country, if we Californicated the entire United States of America. So it's going to be an important debate. Now, the DeSantis campaign has been using that phrasing for months now. Whichever Democrat wins, because, of course, the Democrat is going to beat Trump. I mean, our elections are rigged and all, and Ron doesn't want to help Trump fix that problem and doesn't want to support Trump since Trump is obviously the nominee. Ron needs to win a rigged election because then he will help to fix elections. So a Democrat will win, no matter which Democrat it is, pretty much any Democrat can beat Trump in a rigged election. That person is going to Californicate the nation. Now, maybe Ron thinks this is clever and fun. Maybe one of his campaign people put this idea in his head. Maybe it was Christina Pushaw. Maybe it was his wife, Casey DeSantis. Or maybe Ron is just a huge Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. But that's not a good line. It is cringe-inducing and cringe-worthy. I also find it to be cringe-inducing and cringe-worthy when people call things cringe. But hey, that's just me. So things were not off to a good start. 
Ron made his case that California is terrible. Florida is great. When you talk about all these different things and he was going to hammer that home in the great red versus blue state debate. Now, also before the debate started, Donald Trump's comms team released a statement. This was from Trump spokesperson Stephen Chung. The headline of the post is kiss of death. Ron DeSantis is thirsty AF, which essentially means thirsty as heck. You can fill in the rest. Thirsty means very desperate. Chung's statement reads as follows. Ron DeSanctimonious is acting more like a thirsty third rate OnlyFans wannabe model than actual presidential candidate. Instead of actually campaigning and trying to turn around his dismal poll numbers, DeSanctis is now so desperate for attention that he's debating a grade A loser like Gavin Newsom. At the debate, Ron will flail his arms and bobble his head wildly, looking more like a San Francisco crackhead than the governor of Florida. This isn't a prediction, it's a spoiler. Hopefully for Ron, it's a seated debate, so he won't have to mash his foot into his high heels to look taller. But if not, he'll definitely be on a 12-inch step stool so he can peek right above the podium. In a damning new report exposing Ron for his Chinese ties, he provided tax relief to a federally investigated subsidiary of a Chinese company, according to Florida state government records, despite claiming in the past his administration had not supported the business. Lying Ron or Red Ron? Either way, he's a shill for China and a CCP sympathizer who will go to great lengths to protect them. A new poll from The Messenger and Harris X further proved none of DeSantis's endorsements from Kim Reynolds or Bob Vanderplatz did anything to help his numbers. Ron actually dropped to single digits along with Nikki Birdbrain Haley, while President Trump increased his commanding lead to 68%. Now, that is quite a statement. That statement is hilarious and it is very disrespectful. And of course, people who are still stuck in very old and pointless ways of thinking think that being respectful to corrupt and disloyal politicians is something good. That is a good quality. People should always be respectful to corrupt, disloyal politicians, especially those of the variety that would lie about stolen elections. Beyond all else, we have to be respectful to those people. You see, Ron DeSantis is a very serious person, but Donald Trump, the billionaire business mogul, television star, and president, he's not a serious person. Now, I don't know if the debate last night was broadcast live and simply started at 9 p.m. Eastern, or if it was taped earlier in the day and simply broadcast as though it were live at 9 p.m. Eastern. There would be no way to tell. It was presented as though it were live. So let's just assume. So Trump's campaign puts out that bombastic statement before the debate starts. Did Ron see it? Probably. There's probably someone on Ron's staff that let him know about it. Or maybe, maybe they're sheltering Ron from that sort of taunting and manipulation. But regardless of whether or not Ron saw it, the public saw it, and everyone saw it because it was so over the top, 
People were sending it around like, is this real? Could they have actually said this? And it's one of those posts where if you're not a Trump supporter, you're like, this is why Trump can never be president. And if you actually think about what Trump's doing and why, you'll quickly realize, well, this is how you can get everyone to see something. This evades the media. It evades the censorship. Everyone's going to see it because it's hilarious and they want to share it with other people. If you have more delicate sensibilities, this doesn't work for you. And I know that there are a great many respectable, smart, faithful, patriotic people in our movement who think this is beneath Donald Trump or beneath the office of the president. And you are welcome to think that if you want. But this is an information war. And we really don't have time for concerns like that. I do not understand people who are in the mindset where they believe it's disqualifying to send mean tweets and say mean things in press releases, but it's not disqualifying to lie about our rigged and stolen elections. It indicates a degree of detachment from reality and a lack of understanding about the seriousness of this situation on a broader scale. And consider what we're being presented with. We're being presented with a nationally televised primetime quote unquote debate between a guy who is now solidly in third place and no longer attracting establishment donors in Ron DeSantis against a guy who is not running for president. Now, Gavin Newsom might be running a shadow campaign as Ron accused him of last night and next year at the Democratic National Convention, the delegates might decide to go a different direction than Joe Biden. Is Joe Biden still alive at that point? He has plenty of age related medical problems. He's clearly demented. He's clearly frail. Even if you want to say that's only true in a narrative sense, that's the only sense in which it needs to be true to be used for that purpose in the narrative. So he could be taken out that way. He could be taken out with 25th Amendment claims. The delegates could decide to go a different way, even though Joe Biden will almost definitely not be impeached and not be convicted. So if there's some slight chance that Gavin Newsom might end up being the candidate, OK, but right now he's not the candidate. This entire debate is a contrivance from the bottom up. It is a television spectacle meant to enhance the image and profile of both of these men. The television show exists to make these two people look like the new coronated leaders of the uniparty right and the uniparty left. It'll be Ron's Republican Party and Gavin's Democrat Party. And they will do this for the next 20 or 30 years. Patel Patriot and I covered this on Badlands last night, and I said that it seems like they're setting up the new Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird. They're going to have a career as adversaries. Sometimes one will win. Sometimes the other one will win. But they're going to be the philosophical leaders behind their new emergent parties. And oh, just think about all the stories that the mainstream press will write. Is it the era of Ron and the era of Gavin? They're trying to cement a brand new controlled opposition dynamic up for the American public. 
And that is how the debate played out as controlled opposition. They were restricted in their subjects and the subject matter, and they would fight about the details of complete and total fictions. Most of the debate was them yelling at one another over statistics that cannot be substantiated. And to be as fair as I can to Gavin Newsom, who I absolutely loathe, Ron had a home game. Sean Hannity was helping him. The statistics were set up for Ron DeSantis. They used COVID deaths adjusted for age, basically making the claim that, oh, hey, Florida's statistics actually aren't as bad as you're making them seem because the truth is that Florida has a lot of old people and we all know that old people were the ones who were killed by the nursing homes and medical. I mean, the ones who died in the nursing homes and medical facilities. Now, I lived in California through COVID, through all of 2020. I know what it was like there. I know how that state was run. I know that California is run like a communist technocratic dystopia. I'm not denying that. I cannot stand Gavin Newsom. He lies about absolutely everything and is in total an absolute fraud. But the fact remains that age-adjusted death rate is not a standard for anything unless you're trying to cover up certain facts about the number of deaths. Because the number of deaths that are recorded in a state actually matters when you understand that the tests don't work, the numbers are fudged, and that the state and the medical facilities in the state all get paid to record COVID cases and COVID deaths. Everyone wants to take Ron off the hook for COVID as if he did the greatest job ever. That's just not true. It's just not true. And unlike Donald Trump, who was not dictating policy, Ron was directly responsible for elements of the COVID policy in his state. And no, the claim that it was Trump's CDC does not get any serious person anywhere. So what we saw last night were both halves of a controlled opposition dynamic. They both present the case from their side of that controlled opposition dynamic, the uniparty right versus the uniparty left. And in every point they make, they will both be supporting the central narrative. What are the serious questions about COVID? Was there ever a virus in the first place? Was there a bioweapon created in a lab in China? Was it involved with other labs in the United States? Did people in the intelligence community, in the military community, and in our quote unquote public health community know about all that in the first place? Did people lie about the origin? Did the tests work? Were the numbers falsified? You can go on and on and on asking relevant questions about COVID and the COVID response and discuss those. That's actually quite fruitful ground for discussion, but that's not what anybody gets. What we got was them shouting over one another about COVID numbers. I have better numbers. No, I have better numbers. Your numbers are actually very bad. The people know that your numbers are very bad. Have you seen my numbers? 
I am going to present to the nation all of these numbers. Hey, did you see the numbers that Sean Hannity just put up? Those are the numbers right there. The numbers don't lie. And what a ridiculous statement that is. The numbers don't lie. Well, the numbers don't do anything. They're just numbers. But the two men on stage spent the night lying while using numbers to lie. And the problem for Ron DeSantis throughout the night was that Gavin Newsom is a far more polished, far more comfortable, far more confident liar. And because of that fact, and because of how physically uncomfortable and nervous and anxious and desperate and overwhelmed Ron DeSantis clearly is whenever he is in public at this point, Gavin Newsom dealt with him pretty easily. From an optical standpoint, the debate was not close. Gavin Newsom dominated Ron DeSantis when it comes to optics. It is a televised debate. Optics are supremely important. And Ron DeSantis, who has already gotten a crystal clear zero on optics for well over the last year, got another zero on optics last night. Now, Ron DeSantis does have the facts on his side. I don't think any of us doubt that. And I would never say otherwise. Ron DeSantis made some true arguments about Gavin Newsom and California. Things he said about homelessness and crime, they're all true. But that's not actually how you win a debate. Gavin Newsom talked about being dominant in manufacturing. Would you rather be dominant in manufacturing with a slightly higher crime rate? Or would you like less manufacturing and a lower crime rate? Well, that's a qualitative discussion that people could have disagreements about. But watching two governors say, we have a better crime rate. Well, we have more manufacturing. We have fewer illegal aliens. Well, we have more transgenders. That's not really a political debate. It's not any kind of debate. And you might say, well, it's good that both of these people presented their case to the United States of America, to all the viewers at home. And I'm happy to agree with that. I'm glad the debate happened. I am very, very happy that everyone got to see these two much hyped politicians embarrass themselves and one another on national television for no reason. I am totally good with that because what we saw last night was basically the two sides of the mainstream media, the normie central narrative political discussion in this country. We basically saw them engage in a public tickle fight last night. The fact is both of those men support the uniparty. It is on full display. Ron DeSantis could simply say to Gavin Newsom and simply say to the country, this man right here, supports a global agenda. You can see the implementation of that global agenda in California every day. Here are the corporations who are working with the World Economic Forum and globalist NGOs and the United Nations and whatever else in implementing XYZ in California. It's causing this problem and this problem and this problem. All of that is part of the same agenda that is supported by that party. But Ron can't go to the bigger picture. And he can't talk about things like election fraud. He can't talk about the roots of problems like illegal immigration. He's just comparing numbers. Your numbers 
are bad. My numbers are good. No, 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 no. You see, my numbers are good and your numbers are bad. Both sides of the controlled opposition on full display and nothing ever breaks outside the central narrative. And so for everyone watching, all the viewers at home, they are encouraged to choose one of these two options on each and every one of these issues. And now that is your position. Defend it with your life. Go online and defend one of these two positions all the time, just based on the fact of which man said it. It is the illusion of choice. Either opinion you pick, either person you pick is acceptable to the regime. That is the point of the controlled opposition. One guy is going to appeal to one group of people. The other guy is going to appeal to another group of people. As long as all of the people fall into one of those categories, the regime and the uniparty get whatever they want from all of the people. Because all of the people have aligned with the same uniparty. They're just aligning with their own special brand a little bit more. It's like Nike and Reebok or Coke and Pepsi or Magic versus Bird. Now, I want to talk briefly about a couple of moments in the debate. And there is, again, no point in parsing their arguments. They are arguing over the details of complete and total fictions. It is useless to attempt to fact check Florida's death rate adjusted for age because the use of the statistic in the first place is already a problem. Now, considering Ron's promo video for the debate was the disaster I played earlier, and that went on for about three and a half minutes, he was basically already talking about the future as if he finally understands that he is not going to be president and is not going to beat Trump. The only way that Ron could win a primary is if the GOP rigged it for him. And that's become obvious to everyone. It will certainly still be obvious in two months if they have the balls to try it. And by the way, go ahead, commies. I don't care. Go ahead and try to rig the primary for Ron DeSantis. Nothing's going to change for us. So he had already defeated himself before he started, and the Californicating just doesn't work at all. He tried it again in the debate. It fell flat there, too. It is embarrassing. So the promo video was a fail. The Trump statement in its hilarity and absolute disrespect, that's not helping Ron. Imagine going into a debate like that thinking, oh, this is what's going to relaunch my campaign in this fake primary and having to see that on the way in. So Ron was weak from the beginning and his body language was terrible from the beginning. Ron's debate style is have a scripted and memorized answer that you deliver while seeming passionate and forceful and confident. It is what typical politicians have always done. No one has a taste for it anymore. It is totally inauthentic. It does not suggest any command of the issues whatsoever. And the fact that he is trying to seem a certain way is visible to every awakened person. Ron DeSantis looks like he is trying too hard. So Ron might as well have started the game down a touchdown. It's like he kicked off and the opening kickoff was returned for a touchdown. 
and you find yourself 10 seconds into the game and already substantially behind. But then pretty quickly, Newsom just came out with this. And, and, and I want to answer that very directly. I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm, I'm here uh, to tell the truth about the Biden-Harris record and also compare and contrast Ron DeSantis' record and the Republican Party's record as a point of contrast that's as different as daylight and darkness. You want to bring us back to a pre-1960s world, America in reverse. Uh, you want to roll back hard-earned national rights on voting rights, on civil rights, on LGBTQ rights, on women's rights, not just access to abortion, but also access to contraception. You want to weaponize grievance. You are focusing on false separateness. You in particular, Ron, are on a banning binge, a cultural purge, intimidating and humiliating people you disagree with. You and President Trump are really trying to light democracy on fire. So, Sean, there are profound differences tonight, and I look forward to engaging them. But there's one thing in closing that we have in common is neither of us will be the nominee for our party in 2024. Now, Ron DeSantis went after Gavin Newsom quite a few times. He said that he was slick and slippery a bunch of times. And fine, Gavin Newsom is those things. That is not going to impress anyone watching the debate. It's not brave to say it. It's not controversial. It's not slamming Gavin Newsom. It's just what people say about Gavin who don't like Gavin. And I'm one of those people. I don't like Gavin. Gavin is slick. Gavin is slippery. Gavin is a liar. He is everything hateable about that kind of person. We get it. It just doesn't win debates. But that sort of thing that Gavin just did, that does win debates, making it clear to the audience that neither of them are going to be their party's nominee for president. That's the sort of thing that sticks in people's minds, and it reminds them of the stakes in this debate. This is a spectacle. They are manipulating optics and public image. That's what the exercise is. And Ron got destroyed on that level. He got embarrassed by Gavin Newsom, an actual terrible governor. And unless he's some sort of double agent, an actual terrible person as well. Literally the man who was running the government when the California Secretary of State's office censored me, me, my own speech at a signature signing for Gavin Newsom's recall. The Secretary of State's office requested the censorship of a video of me talking that appears in FOIA documents by Judicial Watch. And this is back from the spring of 2021. I have no love whatsoever for Gavin Newsom, but he embarrassed Ron DeSantis and he did it multiple times. Here's the other one. There will be, unfortunately, a terrorist attack at some point that we'll be able to trace back to our southern forbid. By the way, do you see that risk, Governor Newsom? Governor, do you see the risk? Joe Biden put out not only a comprehensive plan, he consistently puts up plans. I Hold understand. on, no, but Sean, is there, let, is no, there no, a let, risk? I'm going to answer, answer your question. I, I support border security. I think the asylum system is broken. I believe that we need... I understand that. I, I'm, the one that, I'm the only guy here that's a border state governor. You're trolling folks and trying to find migrants to play political games, try to get some news and attention so you can out-Trump Trump. And by the way... How's that going for you, Ron? You're down 41 points in your own home state. And that is true. 
Ron DeSantis is down in the polls in this fake primary in his own state by 40 points. They try to call this guy America's governor. His own state doesn't even like him anymore because he opposes Trump in this cycle and because his campaign is so bad and all of his comms people are so bad and the orchestrated, coordinated, paid info op that is being run on social media in support of Ron is so bad. A lot of people wanted to chalk that up to just these online influencers using their own personalities or being guided by Christina Pushaw and just having really bad strategies. But it's not that. It's Ron. It's small. It's shrill. It's not up to the moment. It does not command the issues. It makes statements and hopes that everyone will just accept them based on what the television has told people. They literally depend on people being ignorant enough to only know what's on Fox News. And they are hoping that that mainstream audience in the middle, however many people in the middle they can pull to one side or the other. We're talking about standard issue uniparty villagers. They think there might be a way to get enough of those to believe in one of these candidates that one of them can beat Donald Trump. But it's not working because they don't have enough numbers in there. There's not enough people in there because there is a MAGA majority. There is a majority in this country of people who know our elections are stolen. They're not watching this so they can choose their favorite of these two men. They've already moved on from that idea. Trump haters will oppose Trump for as long as they hold on to their Trump hate and their MAGA hate. Everybody else will be brought to the point where they understand that Trump is the only choice. That is what this project is designed to do. And ultimately, that is our purpose, because awakened people understand that choosing the best man for president, the man who they've already seen do the job, is more important than how they look to strangers on the Internet while peacocking their political positions. That was the exact realization that many of us had between the years of 2015 or 2016 and 2020. And millions and millions and millions more people have had very similar realizations over the last three years throughout this process. But let's step back one level from the political discussion. Let's forget momentarily which side of the central narrative is better or which one of these two men we like more. And think about what this is doing on a bigger level. If you are a standard issue uniparty left villager, you hear Gavin Newsom making some points for your side that you now know to be wrong. And you also see him dodging questions about late term abortion, making it clear to you that yes, the Democrat Party actually does support a platform that allows for late-term abortions. They can call the practice extremely rare. They can pretend that all they're doing is defending a woman's right to choose with her doctor because they should be the only ones making that decision. But what he's doing is defending a position that allows for late-term abortions. And many of them are going to be put off by that because now they are going to be put in a position where they have to defend that same position and they have to say, well, yeah, I mean, it's so extremely rare. 
I understand this because I used to be one of those people that was continually being put into a position where I had to defend things I didn't want to defend in order to also defend the team I identified with and the positions I identified with as a member of that team. People on that team don't want all those ideas put out to a national audience because they don't want to defend them all. They just know that the Democrats are the good people and they're happy to continue supporting them as long as they can go back to their lives once they're done. They don't want to hear Gavin Newsom defend how kids around the country can be flown into California for their gender adjustment surgery. They don't want to be associated with that stuff. They don't want to be associated with the extreme parts of the Democrat agenda, which Gavin Newsom is forced to defend in that position because Ron is pointing out that those positions are extreme. At the same time, Gavin is able to paint Ron as extreme on those very same issues. So they don't like what Gavin's saying. It's too extreme. And they don't like what Ron is saying either. That's too extreme. So they're just going to stick with their party and their candidate. And the same thing is true for viewers from the uniparty right. They hear Ron describe Gavin's policies Those are terrible. They hear Gavin describe Gavin's policies even more terrible, but they also see Ron's negatives on full display. He can't debate. He looks small and weak and nervous. He doesn't seem prepared to take on Gavin Newsom or any other Democrat for that matter. They shouted over one another and yelled Ron DeSantis lost a debate 14 months ago to Charlie Crist. In the time between then and now, as I have said before, he lost that debate to Charlie Crist. He has now lost three debates to everyone on the debate stage in these fake Republican primary debates, which is not to say that he is the absolute worst on those stages every night. But every time he goes out there and fails to dominate, fails to look head and shoulders above everyone else. He is diminished, and that is why we have seen his polling numbers and his public perception plummet over the last year. Now, if you are an ardent supporter of Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom, then you are happy with Gavin's performance and you are complaining about Sean Hannity and some of the tactics used by Ron. You're arguing with the controlled opposition on the internet about the factual claims made and saying my numbers are better than your numbers. How could you even say that about my numbers? How could you even pretend that these are your numbers? But unless you're one of those people who's really genuinely backing one of these two men, and there aren't very many of those, then what this debate presented you was two people who were totally unlikable in this experiment, this exercise that was totally pointless and meaningless. It was supposed to elevate these men in the eyes of the public and instead it diminished them. They shouted over each other. They never got to the most important issues. They looked petty and dishonest and unserious. Gavin Newsom seems like a predatory businessman who wants to get rich 
by making people hand over their life savings to him and then just robbing them blind. And Ron is meatball Ron. His facial expressions last night are ridiculous. Most people saw two things they don't like. They saw too much of one thing and too much of the other thing. And then you've got Donald Trump as Goldilocks. Oh, you don't like what that candidate is doing? Well, I don't do that stuff. You don't like what that candidate is doing? I don't do that stuff either. You want that guy to do more of those things? Well, I do those things. Now, whether this is all an info op and a setup and this whole thing is one giant pro-Trump red team operation, as we've talked about for well over a year with Ron DeSantis, maybe Gavin Newsom's in on it. Maybe Sean Hannity is in on it. Maybe the whole thing was a display, but whether it's natural or whether it's all contrived, it serves the same purpose either way. Unless you are obsessed with one of those candidates, what you saw last night was both sides being absolutely as awful as you remember. And the takeaway is, wow, maybe Donald Trump is not the problem in our American political culture. Maybe the problem in our American political culture is on display on this stage. We have the uniparty right. We have the uniparty left. We have the mainstream media and absolutely all of them are awful. Ron DeSantis is trying to get back in second place in a fake primary, and he didn't even finish second place in that debate last night. He was beaten by Gavin Newsom, and of course, he was beaten by Donald Trump, who was not there. They were both beaten by Donald Trump, who was not there, because Trump is the one who comes out looking good after those two stood in there and embarrassed themselves and one another. They embarrassed their entire parties. What was discussed and debated on that debate stage last night, that was not the stuff that Americans are primarily focused on at this point, especially not if you're an American who understands that our elections are stolen and there is no justification whatsoever for trusting the outcomes of our elections as reported. If you are one of the people who understands that, that debate last night, may as well have been for presidential runner-up of an entirely different planet. You heard in one of those clips, and Gavin mentioned throughout the debate a couple of times, he talked about Ron DeSantis banning books in Florida. Did Ron DeSantis ban books in Florida the way the Nazis banned books? No, he didn't. They're removing sexually explicit material from school libraries. And Gavin Newsom was forced to actually defend that. Did Ron win that point in the debate? Sure. Unless you're someone on the uniparty left who likes that stuff. Ron can't sell his points. All he can do is state them. That is why he loses debates. There's nothing convincing about him. His attempts at looking serious and looking confident and looking in control are so blatantly false and inauthentic that it makes his job even harder. And it would be great if someone actually told him that in his campaign, but they don't tell him things like that. Instead, they create special gimmicks for Ron, like having Ron say Californicate or doing what he did last night in one of the discussions about these children's books. Ron DeSantis reaches into his jacket pocket and pulls out a piece of paper and unfolds it and holds it up. 
And it is one of those pages, those cartoon illustrations from one of those disgusting, sexually explicit books that they're trying to use to sexualize kids and introduce them to LGBTQ ideas and the trans agenda and the rest of it. The books are disgusting and they are graphic. And that's what was on Ron's paper. He had a piece of redacted gay cartoon porn. Now, I'm not suggesting that Ron DeSantis is gay or is into gay porn. That's not the point. The point is that on a very basic level, what he did was reach into his pocket and pull out a piece of paper covered in gay porn. It doesn't matter that there's more to it than that. We're talking about optics here. Ron DeSantis reached into his suit pocket and pulled out gay porn. That means he came to the debate prepared with gay porn in his pocket. It's just weird. It's just weird. And to make matters worse, Gavin Newsom called it out as a gimmick that Ron routinely uses. So basically, Part of Ron DeSantis's campaign is carrying around this piece of paper with an illustration of gay sex acts as a prop to help him make a point about how he is the anti-wokeness governor and is going to protect your kids from this sort of thing while showing them that sort of thing on national television. Now, again, I understand the issue. I understand that that stuff should not be shown to kids. And this is yet another reason why we shouldn't allow stolen elections and shouldn't support people who are running against the duly elected president. If you want to fix these problems in schools, a good way to do it would be to hold public officials accountable. And you can only do that with legitimate elections. Why does the governor of Florida walk around with gay porn in his pocket? It's a question worth asking. And who encouraged him to do this? Was it Christina Pushaw? Was it his wife, Casey? Does she check with Ron before he leaves the house in the morning? Hey, uh, Ronnie, did you remember your gay porn? I put it next to the keys. What do you mean you put it next to the keys? I told you to put it next to my high-heeled cowboy boots. If you're going to make me keep taking this gay porn everywhere with me, why don't you put it where I tell you to put it, Casey? And strangely, that wasn't the only weird picture that Ron had with him. Later on, while talking about homelessness, Ron DeSantis pulled out the San Francisco shit map. Now, if you're not familiar with what a shit map is, there's a map of San Francisco and an app that you can get up there. And if you see human feces on the streets, on the sidewalks, you can report it in the app. Now, naturally, over time, because there are so many humans shitting on the streets in San Francisco, the map fills up into one big brown spot. And that is what Ron brought along with him to the debate. Now, this app and this information is years old, years old. I think at least five years old, maybe it's 10 years old, but it's not a new thing. Now, rather than understanding, it's awfully weird that the governor of Florida is walking around with gay porn and a shit map in his pocket. All of his supporters immediately rushed to X, formerly Twitter, to post about how Ron brought the receipts. I mean, that is a 
stupid phrase for people who are online way too much. But regardless, that's not bringing the receipts. It's bringing props. And the props ended up making Ron look bad. Perhaps the strategy was understanding that Ron is a disaster in terms of optics. So maybe if you focus people's attention on something else, Ron won't seem like Ron. Well, it didn't work. So at the end of the 90 minutes, Sean Hannity was going to cut to commercial. And then Gavin and Ron started joking about how they would continue this debate all night. Oh, we love doing these things. What a highbrow intellectual conversation we're having. It's so stimulating. I could carry on this conversation all night. Let's talk about whose numbers are better again. And so as Hannity went into commercial, we were supposed to come back and see Ron and Gavin argue about their numbers more, but they didn't. Sean Hannity basically just said during the break, both candidates decided that they can't actually do more time. So now we're going to bring in our TV panel and they brought on Kaylee McEnany, Ari Fleischer and Harold Ford to all talk about how good a debate it was. Got to make sure that whoever's watching this knows that the debate was really well done. Very highbrow conversations. And for sure, Ron DeSantis distinguished himself as the winner, the one really in command of the situation. And it was funny because after a couple of minutes of that, Ari Fleischer basically said, well, this still doesn't make any difference in terms of Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. There's no way that Ron DeSantis could possibly beat Donald Trump but at least it was an interesting debate. The problem though, is that it wasn't an interesting debate. It was a clown show where one man said all the things Fox news says to another man. And that man responded with all the things MSNBC says. The upshot is that it worked perfectly for Donald Trump. Too much of one thing versus too much of the other thing. Donald Trump is now becoming, in the eyes of the general public, that middle, moderate, agreeable candidate. They don't want either one of these other sides. They have done that before. Everyone has played establishment Democrat versus establishment Republican for their entire lives. And supporters of both parties have made it known to their parties that they are unsatisfied with that. Not on a small scale, on a massive scale. In 2016, they did it with Bernie Sanders. And before that, they kind of did it with Barack Obama. Obviously, Barack Obama is as establishment and deep state as they come. But in 2008, he was hope and change. He was the alternative from the stodgy, boring, corrupt, already tried Hillary Clinton. And in 2016, it was that same phenomenon, but much harder. And they were actually gearing more toward populism. Now, obviously, they were fooled about what political philosophy actually provides for people if those people want to be independent and free, but they were still rejecting the establishment. 
in 2016. They did the same thing, obviously, on the Republican side with Donald Trump. And that dynamic remains to this day. In fact, it has only grown. And many of those people who supported Bernie and rejected the Democrat establishment long ago are looking at Trump as the reasonable alternative to everything they have always hated about the establishment on the right. It is not a big leap to understand that the establishment of your party is terrible, but the establishment of the other party is also still terrible. And when that happens, you immediately turn to the person who is not establishment. It does not take a doctorate in political science to understand this dynamic as it exists in the United States. That's why there are so many people looking to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And how about this for a thought experiment? Think about this. Which of these combinations do you think would be the most successful? Trump DeSantis, Kennedy Newsom, DeSantis Newsom, or the other way around, Newsom DeSantis, or Trump Kennedy? Which one of those combinations would get the most popular support? It is absolutely unequivocally Donald Trump and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. over any of those other combinations, including Trump DeSantis. Not that there is any chance of that combination. It's just like how there's no chance you will see Kennedy Newsom or Newsom Kennedy. The Democrat establishment is not going to welcome Robert F. Kennedy Jr. inside. And I'm not sure if I've said this on here. I know I've talked about it on Badlands before. My current thinking is that we will be reverting to a more constitutional form, original constitutional form of selecting a vice president. It will just be whoever has the second most electoral college votes. I don't think candidates should have running mates. I don't think that we should have this thing where the vice president is whoever runs with the president. I think the founders set it up a certain way for a certain reason. And I think they're right about that reason. I think we'd have a better functioning country. And so I think there's a strong possibility. Maybe that is what we will end up seeing with Trump getting the most electoral college votes and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. getting the second most. And then it won't be that Trump selects Kennedy and Kennedy has to bend the knee to work with Trump and everybody is unsatisfied because they want to compete about their teams. It'll just be These are the two men. This one is president. This one is vice president. Now we have to make the country great. So DeSantis supporters and standard issue uniparty left villagers, both of those sides came away from this debate claiming that they won. Ron's side is certain that this shows Ron to be the only man who can beat Democrats next year. They are really trying to sell it. No one's buying but they're trying to sell it. Maybe there are some people that messaging will appeal to, but I really don't think so. Regardless, Ron DeSantis has made it clear to everybody that he is the establishment Republican guy. He is not Donald Trump. This is just the latest in another reassertion that the establishment of the Republican Party should be more listened to and more respected. It is Donald Trump and the MAGA movement that have cost Republicans in this country so much. We don't have the presidency. We don't have the Senate. We barely have the House. And the MAGA Republicans are ruining anything we could do in the House. 
What we need to do is get the adults back in the room, just like we did when we allowed Joe Biden to be fake president. With the adults back in the room, Ron DeSantis is our guy. We're going to send him on out there and he is going to be our dragon slayer. He is going to take down that slick, slippery governor from California, except he didn't. He looked like a small man who was not up to the moment and people are rejecting the establishment. But let's say you got tricked. Let's say you're one of those people who is just like, oh man, the Republican establishment, I just can't do it. I know these people are corrupt, but you also have those pressures of the friends and the family and the people at work, the Trump haters out there. You don't want to identify yourself, at least not again, as a Trump guy. Can't you let it go? They'll say, oh, come on. You're not really a Trump guy still, are you? Why don't you move on? And you want to listen to them. You want to make them happy because you don't want that friction anymore. It's been eight years of that friction and it's still going. And at some point you might ask yourself, hey, how come you haven't dealt with it yet? How come you still subject yourself to that all the time? How come you think the solution is to change your opinions? Huh, little guy? Maybe there's another way around that. But let's say you're that person and you just want to move on. You're like, okay, well, you know, Ron hasn't done a great job at these GOP primary debates, but he handled Gavin Newsom okay. And if we make him the nominee, I bet he can handle Gavin Newsom like that again. And if that happens, then people being really upset with the Democrats, maybe that'll be enough now that Trump is gone. Maybe that'll be enough to win one of these rigged elections. And that's what it's all about. We've got to be able to say we won, even if the election was rigged, because that would allow us to take power. And once we do that, we can fix elections or we can pretend that they're fine. It doesn't matter because we've already got power back. And we might as well just pretend they're fine because otherwise we would have to admit that all those crazy MAGA supporters, they were right about those stolen elections. And Donald Trump was the duly elected president. And I guess I guess this was a uh, usurpation of the country. But hey, at least at least we got Ron here. There are people like that. They just want to move on. They want to get rid of that friction in their lives. They're OK. They're like, OK, maybe the. The GOP establishment has finally turned things around. Maybe we're on the right page. Maybe this will work. Ron's going to gain some ground on this for sure. He just really took it to Gavin Newsom. And then this morning, you watch the Republican establishment who you're told you must follow in order to win and then wield power. You watch the Republican establishment join the Democrats in expelling George Santos as a member of the illegitimate Congress. How's that for selling your principles in service of winning and then not winning again? You gotta love the Republican establishment supporters who keep saying that Trump and MAGA lose. These people have given the country away for 40 years. These are the people who supported John McCain and Mitt Romney and Ted Cruz's failed run. And now we're supporting Ron DeSantis's failed run and Nikki Haley's disastrous campaign for the military industrial complex. These people haven't won anything. Mitch McConnell made it harder for Republicans to win majorities in 2022, and they all cover up election rigging. These people are not winners. 
They've not won anything. They've given the country away for four straight decades. And now their campaign strategy is to just adopt Trump's policies while being so much more mature and serious than Donald Trump. But if they're more mature and more serious and smarter and more competent and more honest and more trustworthy and have better ideas, why are they so thoroughly unable to convince anyone that's true? Well, it's because at the very bottom of all of that, they can't tell the truth. They are trapped inside that central narrative bubble, and they are not allowed to use the stuff from outside. They're not allowed to say actually true things that are inconvenient to the regime. They have to stick within the bounds of the uniparty's controlled opposition paradigm. And it's becoming obvious to everyone. Everyone can hear them lying. And it's worse than that because they are actively trying to weaken themselves on behalf of the regime whenever it's called for. And that brings us to George Santos. They voted to expel him this morning. A hundred and five Republicans joined Democrats expelling George Santos. The New York Times posted a list of all the congressmen and how they voted in this article. And I will go through some of this article just for background on the story. The House will vote today on whether to expel Representative George Santos of New York from Congress. The threshold for the measure to pass is two thirds supermajority of those voting. So when people decline to vote, it decreases the total threshold for that two thirds majority. The New York Times writes, Mr. Santos has survived two previous expulsion efforts. Friday's vote to expel Mr. Santos comes after a report by the House Ethics Committee that found substantial evidence that Mr. Santos had broken federal criminal laws. The report detailed the many ways Mr. Santos regularly used campaign funds for personal expenses, including trips to casinos, designer fashion, cosmetic treatments, and purchases on OnlyFans a platform best known for allowing creators to sell explicit content. It is basically a website for online prostitution. After the release of the report, Mr. Santos said he would not seek reelection in 2024. Mr. Santos is also facing 23 felony counts. Federal prosecutors allege that Mr. Santos solicited donations for a fake political fund which he in turn used to buy designer clothes and pay off debt. He is also accused of stealing a donor's credit card number to transfer $11,000 to his own bank account, among other offenses. Expulsion from Congress is a rare occurrence. Only five members of the House and 14 members of the Senate have ever been expelled. The bulk of these expulsions took place during the Civil War era when many were expelled for supporting the Confederacy. The two most recent expulsions from the House, Michael J. Myers in 1980 and James Traficant in 2002, were related to bribery and corruption scandals. Mr. Santos's departure from Congress would trigger a special election. Many are already vying to represent a district President Biden carried in 2020. And they might as well say, we are planning to replace George Santos with a Democrat. Now, what are we supposed to make of this? The most obvious lesson is that the Republican establishment is not prepared to play for keeps. 
They've decided that they are going to be publicly moralizing as a way of convincing the country they are actually really good. They care about truth and honesty and serving the American people with integrity. That's the Republican establishment lining up with Democrats. It wasn't okay when Matt Gates did it, but when Democrats are pushing with nearly their entire conference to expel a Republican member, and then 105 Republicans join those Democrats to get a two-thirds supermajority to expel that Republican member, they're actually joining Democrats to do something the Democrats want to do. The Republican establishment is literally helping the Democrat Party reduce the number of Republicans. That's the thing they're saying Donald Trump is going to do to the Republican Party, even though Donald Trump in 2020 had the greatest coattails of any Republican candidate who ever existed. And certainly since Ronald Reagan in 1980, we are being told we need to move on from Donald Trump so that the establishment can win on our behalf while we are watching the establishment intentionally reduce the power of the Republican Party. Now, did George Santos do all these things that are laid out in the House Ethics Report? I don't know, and I don't care. That's not the point. George Santos is basically a psyop himself to begin with, and so it's hard to take any of this too seriously. But George Santos is certainly not the first congressman who's done things of this nature. And that is the primary message being pushed out there from the MAGA side of things. Here's what Charlie Kirk had to say. Congress can't impeach Mayorkas, who is single-handedly destroying America by allowing 10 million illegals and countless terrorists to break into America, flooding our schools, our cities, and our hospitals with the third world. But never fear, Republicans expelled George Santos because of OnlyFans and Botox. He says, how about brother lover Ilhan Omar? How about magic stock picker Nancy Pelosi? How about Maxine? I have my whole family on payroll waters. How about genocide advocate Rashida Tlaib? How about fire alarm freak Jamal Bowman? How about gold bar trader Bob Menendez? How about serial liar Adam Schiff? And honestly, how about 90% of them who profit from, benefit from, are elected by and cover up stolen elections in our country. Are we really going to pretend that the entirety nearly of the Democrat party in the House and nearly half of the Republican conference, most of whom are strictly establishment uniparty right members, all just decided they were going to expel George Santos out of a commitment to principle and integrity, there is absolutely no way that happened. So applauding them for doing something beneficial to them because you think that George Santos has violated some moral crime is a little ridiculous, especially when the proof of all of that is a house ethics report. Are we really going to pretend those are valid now? Is he going to be indicted? If he is, is he going to be convicted? Why can't we wait to find out how that process goes before overriding the will of the voter? Now, again, 
I don't think our elections are legitimate. So the will of the voter argument has a problem right there. But if we're speaking about principle and in the abstract, assuming that our elections are legitimate, then Congress shouldn't be allowed to just vote out members that the voters put in. It's a two year process. The voters can hold George Santos accountable for what they have found out since his election at his next election. And if he's convicted of actual crimes or proven to have committed them, whether or not there is ultimately a conviction, well, maybe that can be addressed at some point. But what sort of precedent is being set here? And now listen, there is an argument that says maybe it needs to be easier and more common for House members to be expelled for their corruption. And if George Santos is corrupt, then I certainly don't have any sympathy for him being treated the wrong way. But this isn't how this process has worked in the past. And I'm not sure I could be convinced that the process should be set up to allow this. How would people think of this if this had been, I don't know, what was it, a year, a year and a half ago, when all of those accusations were being lodged against Matt Gates? And it turned out, of course, that it was all a setup. But what if they had compiled some sham House ethics report and Republicans had joined Democrats in expelling Matt Gates? George Santos is kind of clownish. He's a foolish character. He's the sort of person that people don't think of when they think of congressmen. But honestly, how different is he from Barney Frank? Honestly, we were told we have to take all these congressmen seriously. So now they're serious congressmen. And George Santos, he doesn't seem like a serious congressman. So it's okay to get rid of him. Well, if it's okay to get rid of him on this basis, then it would be okay to get rid of somebody like Matt Gates, And it's not okay to do that. Because if we say that it is okay to do that, then they will do this for strategic political purposes. Expel Matt Gates, and then who exercises the motion to vacate? Who even would have argued for the motion to vacate in the first place? Gates was leading that effort in January. What if the Republican establishment joined with virtually all of the Democrats and we're just like, you know what? We've had it with Matt Gates. Matt Gates makes our job as the Uniparty too difficult. We're going to override the will of the voters. Not that we didn't override it already. And we're going to get rid of Matt Gates. Moralizing over George Santos is pointless. We don't know what George Santos did or didn't do. George Santos is almost certainly a psyop through and through. In some way or another, George Santos is there to be a spectacle and a show. He is an attention grabber. He is comic relief. And he is a star in this little show. This little show is all about the issue of how we go about removing congressmen from their position. Do they need to be convicted of a crime or do they not? Can the Congress simply vote them out at will whenever they want? Because that is what we have here. It doesn't matter that there was an ethics report written. They can fire up the ethics committee to do that whenever they want. And I'm sure that they can dig into people's past and find little things here and there that they can present in a way that will make people in the general public without any connection to the situation whatsoever feel like George Santos is a bad guy or whoever is in his place and in the firing line next. It's not that hard to do that. 
because people like moralizing about the things other people have done. Oh, I'm wagging my finger at George Santos. He is a bad, bad, bad boy. And this Congress, oh, this is the house of integrity. We cannot let somebody like George Santos into our Congress. We have too much integrity here. But these people have no integrity. They don't have integrity. They don't respect the voters. They don't represent the voters. Most of them weren't even voted into office. We need to stop getting trapped in the idea that we need to protect these institutions. These institutions are rotten to their core. The way to protect institutions like this that are rotten to their core is to rid them completely of all the rottenness because there's no preserving a rotten institution. It is only rottenness. It can't do the things that it needs to do because it's rotten. So you don't pretend that it's doing the things it needs to do if it's not doing them. We pretend they're going to be self-correcting. When was the last time they self-corrected? How long have we been hearing that Congress has like a 10% approval rate or maybe 15 or maybe it's 20. Maybe it fluctuates, but most Americans can't stand Congress. It's not going to self-correct. It is in the game of self-preservation. And what element of Congress is trying this hard to preserve itself? Well, it's the uniparty element of Congress, which is why the Republican establishment is happy to help out the Democrat establishment whenever they ask. And one of the times they asked was last night. The Democrats helped out the Republicans. Gavin Newsom was offered up. Gavin Newsom will be your opponent. He will help elevate you, Ron. Now go out and be elevated. And he couldn't do it. He's supposed to be a dominant force, but at best he broke even with a home field advantage in a totally irrelevant event. And anyone who thought maybe this and the GOP establishment are the path to victory next year, Anyone who might have thought that for a few hours got this news today about George Santos. The Republican establishment isn't going to win anything other than a rigged election. And being allowed to win a rigged election isn't a mark of victory and glory. It's a mark of shame and treason. And that wasn't the only gut punch from the Uniparty. You might remember not long ago. When members of the Uniparty right joined Democrats in staging the Sham J6 committee and the primetime television show produced by television producers that followed. Well, we got this headline today from just the news. Democrats star J6 witness Cassidy Hutchinson made significant changes to her story memo shows. Three months after she testified as the Democrat star witness at the January 6th congressional hearings, former Trump White House aide Cassidy Hutchison submitted significant changes to statements and information she had provided in transcribed interviews with the U.S. House of Representatives dating to February 2022, according to an errata sheet viewed by Just the News that was kept from the American public. The 15-page long errata sheet, uncovered recently by Representative Barry Loudermilk, includes significant changes to Hutchinson's account of key events in the Capitol riot drama, including what Secret Service vehicle transported Donald Trump to the January 6, 2021 rally, 
whether guns were at the Washington, D.C. rally that preceded the riot, and what she knew about a meeting where Hang Mike Pence chants were allegedly made. The errata sheet contained a digital signature from Hutchinson approving the changes. Legal experts said errata sheets for congressional witnesses are common, but usually are limited to technical or typographical errors. The experts who reviewed Hutchinson's errata sheet dated September 12th, 2022, said it appears to make material changes to her stories. These aren't corrections. They constitute entirely new testimony that should be subjected to cross-examination. Harvard Law Professor Emeritus Alan Dershowitz told Just the News after reviewing the memo. Dershowitz represented Trump at his first impeachment trial, where the 45th president was acquitted on charges related to Ukraine and did not have a role in the January 6th impeachment. And that's Dershowitz he's talking about there. So entirely new testimony that should be subjected to cross-examination. Now, that's kind of funny because none of it throughout the entire J6 committee was subjected to cross-examination. And everyone in the country would know that, except standard-issue villagers were told by the television that because Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger had joined the cause, that meant it was bipartisan and fair because they were going to represent the Republicans. And Republicans are on Donald Trump's side. And when Republicans join Democrats against their own party, that means that they're not lying. That means they're being honest for the first time. That means they're one of the good ones. So you can trust them even more than Democrats who, of course, lie and also Republicans lie. But Republicans who join Democrats, they don't lie. They're telling the truth the most out of anyone. Jumping down, Loudermilk's House Administration Committee Oversight Subcommittee which is the successor panel to the Democrats J6 committee. But some key evidence is missing. The January 6th committee destroyed or got rid of the videotapes of the transcribed interviews they conducted of Hutchinson before her nationally televised testimony in June 2022, which makes the typewritten transcripts and her errata as the only official record. Loudermilk told Just the News on Thursday evening. All of the videotapes of all depositions are gone, Loudermilk said. Again, we found out about this early in the investigation when I received a call from someone who was looking for some information off one of the videotapes, and we started searching and we had none. I wrote a letter to Benny Thompson asking for them, and he confirmed that they did not preserve those tapes. He didn't feel that they had to. He goes on to discuss how the House rules require that, and then said that, the witness testimonies from other witnesses, their errata sheets did not have the substantial material changes that Cassidy Hutchinson's did. Loudermilk says she had done several interviews up until that point in the summer of last year that it became public. The purpose of the errata sheet was to go back and change her testimony. In my opinion, it is very suspicious that the errata sheet was changing her public testimony or changing her transcribed interviews to match her public testimony that she gave later. Now, much like George Santos, it seems like Cassidy Hutchinson has been an op from the beginning. Her claims about Trump trying to like choke out the secret service and grab the steering wheel of the beast so that he could go down and meet all the rioters down at the insurrection and join them in an insurrection. That stuff was ridiculous. 
but this woman was still their star witness. So her changing her testimony later on, that's fairly remarkable. And also like George Santos, because she has drawn so much attention, when something happens with Cassidy Hutchinson, people are going to find out about it. And so right now, what people are finding out about is that these people who testify in public in a congressional setting can then go amend their testimony. They can correct it to something else. So the television display of all this to us allows them to say false things on the record in front of the public as long as they go change it later in private. And we're probably never going to find out about it. That is quite a revelation. Is it possible we are going to see this take effect in future situations? I would suspect that we will. This is laying down a template for our understanding. This is the sort of thing you should keep your eyes open and ears open for in the future. Do we hear another story in the future about someone changing their testimony in an errata statement after a congressional hearing? And similarly with Santos, will we see future House members taken out without being convicted of crimes? Does that set a new standard? It actually is on us to think about these things because otherwise the Uniparty just gets to do whatever it wants. And if we are only interpreting these situations based on team identity, then we are missing the big picture. You don't have to support Ron DeSantis just because he's up against Gavin Newsom. He might be right about his answers from your perspective, but he's playing for the exact same team as Gavin Newsom. The choice is just to not support either. We need to break fully out of these paradigms. We need to understand the manipulation that is being attempted against us and where it leads. We cannot get lost in the details of these various fictions or be sent off to decide which liar we prefer in an argument. And we sure as hell don't need to get bogged down in defining communism. I will be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'm your moderator you can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!